Viva Las Vegas! Sin City is ready. So is Allegiant Stadium, home of the Raiders. The Gold Cup final on Sunday, and it will be between the United States and Mexico. Sin City is ready, so are we here on Football Americas, coming to you from ESPN's Las Vegas studios. Sin City, the city that gave us my colleague, my co-host, Hercules Gomez. You love being home, huh? I do. It's good to be here, man. Yeah? Do you imagine it be this hot? Do you feel the warmth of the people? I don't know if it's the warmth of the people or the desert sun, but I feel it, yeah. So, look, we got a lot to get to in this show. And, of course, if you miss watching us, you can always listen to us on the podcast, available on the ESPN FC feed, wherever you download your podcast today. You're going to hear from Allie Krieger. She's going to join us, talk about the U.S. women's national team. Incredible game in the quarterfinals against the Netherlands. They advanced into the semifinals in the most dramatic fashion. We're going to hear from Taylor Twelman as well. We're going to talk about the U.S., their victory over Qatar. Mauricio Pedrosa will join us as well to talk about both Mexico's, the Mexican men in the Gold Cup final and the Mexican Olympic team who have a quarterfinal showdown with South Korea. But let's start with the reason that we are here. The Gold Cup final, the dream final, Herc. We got USA and Mexico for a seventh time in the Gold Cup final, but it didn't come easy. The U.S. in Austin beating Qatar by the narrowest of margins, one nothing thanks to a very, very late goal from Giassi Zardes, as you can see there, assisted by Nicholas Joachini. So the U.S. had some trouble in their semifinal. Mexico had a lot of trouble later on in Houston in their semifinal. The game winner, Herc, didn't come till the 99th minute. It came courtesy of Hector Herrera. Well taken. Yeah, it's a well taken goal. It's, it's the final everybody hoped for, right? It's the way this tournament is designed. This tournament is designed for the U.S. men's national team in Mexico to meet in the final. That's why they're on opposite ends of the bracket. And if both win, they will meet each other in the final. It's what CONCACAF wants. It's what the majority of fans want. But is it deserved, Herc? Really, is it Great deserved? And, and what I mean by that is when you look at these two teams, do these two teams to you stand out as the two that throughout this tournament have played the best soccer? Not looking at their resumes, not looking at their history dominating the region. In this tournament, have they really been the two best teams? Well... You could make that argument for Mexico. Because Last night, I wouldn't have made that argument for Correct. either of them. Correct. But throughout the tournament, they're probably the team that dominated the most. Fair enough. You can't make that argument for the U.S. men's national team. But are we going to make that argument for them? It's a C team, still learning how to play with, them, with each other. Uh, never played with each other before. Twelve of these players, and if we include Kessler, 13, had never played for the senior men's national team. Not even one minute at that level. And now they're going to face a Mexico squad that, for the first time, for many of them, it's going to be their first final in any professional setting. So, it deserved? No, probably not by any stretch of the means for one team. For the other, I think uh, they dominated long stretch of this tournament, so deserved is subjective. Um, it doesn't really matter. Deserved, not there, there. Yeah. If you were going to ask me, and in a little bit we'll get into kind of the preview of this match, who has the edge in some of the key categories. Um, but if you ask me who has the edge in momentum, I would literally be like, I, I don't know. I don't know that. And certainly yeah. coming off the semifinals that either um, of these teams has the edge. In terms of momentum, I think really if you say somebody kind of has the edge there, it's, it's kind of by default. If these are, I don't know if they're the most deserving, but by default, they are probably the two best. By default, it's a good way to put it. That we've seen. They both kind of limped into the final, yep. right? Yep. I mean, the U.S. men's national team probably should have been down 0-2 the first half. And Mexico, for long stretches of that game versus Canada, were outmatched, outpaced, and outclassed, honestly. We'll pull the, we'll pull the curtain back here. Like, we were already in Las Vegas Thursday night for yeah. these games. There was definitely moments in each of those matches where you're like, oh, we're going to have a 
a Canada-Qatar final, which um, you know would have been great for those respective countries, but obviously not why we are here on Football Americas. We came for uh, United States and Mexico. All right, let's get into the matchup itself. Who has the edge? We'll get into some key categories, but we'll start with uh, I think what's an obvious one. Who has the edge in terms of talent? Hercules Gomez. Uh, this is easy. It's got to be Mexico. Look at the top-tier players they have. Hector Herrera plays for Atletico Madrid. You've got players like Atilio Corona, who was voted the best player in the Portuguese league not too long ago. You've got Players. Talent is a dangerous word, my man. It talent is. doesn't it equal is. results. Cuidado. But mm-hmm. talent, talent's a good barometer to where these players are in their career, okay. where they are in experience. And you look at the other side, I mentioned how little experience they have. This is, I don't even want to say argue, arguably a C team. It is a C team. You look at the CONCACAF Nations League final, three of the players on this roster were on that roster. Only one really factored in in a major way, which was Kellen Acosta, who started. So if you go on terms on what you see in talent level, I think Mexico overwhelmingly takes this. All right, overwhelmingly. But then I think I would ask you, is that talent performing well? Because there's definitely some guys that I can see on the Mexican team just picking out of air, Carlos Salcedo, Tecatito, who are extremely talented, great European resumes, both right. of them, but right now are not playing to that level. Yeah. So to me, that's a, that's a pretty serious And if concern. you want to say Tecatito Corona, I could say that's a fair criticism because he's been MIA right. the whole tournament. MIA for a player who many are you know, touting for Tottenham Hotspur, who are saying this right. guy is on their radar, who's been saying this guy should leave Portugal for the longest time. He's one of the most talented players in CONCACAF. Carlos Salcedo had a bad performance for, uh, with Wales Canada, but throughout the majority of this tournament, he's not been the issue. Um, I guess the question here is not who has more talent. It's really what is the gap between the two teams? Because when you say Mexico's A team and you say United States C team, it makes people think that there's like a huge gap. Is it a gap, the type of gap, which unless there's an accident of football in this game, the U.S. doesn't really have a chance? I would say so. I mean, really? Pressure, pressure. So they played uh, 10 times, the U.S. maybe can win once. I, I would say yes. Yes, I would mm-hmm. go that far to say yes. Uh, if you look at the pressure, and pressure could be a funny thing for these professionals. Right. But we're talking about talent, not pressure. Well, well that's what I'm yeah. guess what I'm getting at. These top tier athletes for the Mexican national team are supposed to win this game, right? right? I, I think it's 1920 if you count Kessler, not go, you know, who's not probably going to feature in tomorrow uh, or, or this, uh, this final. 20 of them are Major League Soccer players, you know, versus players that have European pedigree, versus players that may play domestically in Liga Mekis, but have been there, done that with the national team who have Gold Cup finals and Gold Cup Champions League or Champions medals in their pockets. So, yeah, pressure is a funny thing. Mexico's supposed to win, and maybe the U.S. men's national team could play with that pressure, play with what would probably be a very pro-Mexican uh, home crowd and use that against them. All right, you mentioned Mexican p- pro-home crowd. Location, location, location. It is what matters. As far as that, I mean, is it a home field advantage for Mexico? We just assume that that's an automatic here in Las Vegas? I would assume that's an automatic in most parts in the continental United States. Go back to the Nations League final. You remember there were moments there where the U.S. fans overtook the Mexican fans in that stadium. You could hear chants of U.S. Well, that's especially the only when the U.S. was playing fans. better. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Why could you hear those chants? Because pressure is a funny thing, and you can take the crowd out of it. We saw it at Qatar versus so when you say, All right, so to that point, you say home field advantage. Who's not to say that the crowd doesn't actually play against Mexico here? Well, between the the, way, between the pressure and between it. what they're dealing with with the chant and how that could affect so, the game? Let me tell you something about these young players. And the first time you play mm-hmm. in a professional setting, a final, right. pressure you feel when you hear your national anthem, when you hear the opponent's national anthem, when you take a look up for the first time, a deep breath, and you realize... I'm playing in front of how many thousands? Yep. Close to 70, maybe yep. 80,000 people. It's going to be an immense type of pressure for the U.S. men's national team, but also a type of pressure that the Mexican players maybe are more accustomed to, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody, is, is, especially in the Mexican fan base, Mexican this group country, of Mexican players, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're expecting 
something to happen, right? Well, what's going to happen? How will they disappoint us? And when they don't, you're supposed to. Yeah. So it, it's, it's almost a, a lose-lose for the Mexican national team because if you win, you're supposed to win. And if you lose, you lost to the U.S. men's national team C team. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's obvious to say Mexico has a home field advantage. I think it won't be what it's been in the past. I definitely sense that there's like a buzz around this U.S. program that continues to change that. What about coaching? What about the technical area? Who has the edge when it comes to the two managers, Greg Berhalter and Tata Martino? This is going to surprise you. I'm going to say Greg Berhalter. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say Tata, so I was here ready to argue for Greg. <laughs> you arguing for Greg? I'll tell That's you why. I'll tell you Tell why. me why. You go first. Um, well, Greg Berhalter just beat Tata. Yeah. So, so I, I think he's got a little bit of there. Um, I think if I'm looking at how... So... I don't think Tata Martino is getting the most out of this group. There you go. I think you can definitely say that Greg Berhalter is getting the most out of this group. So if I'm analyzing the manager's function, then I got to say Greg Berhalter's doing more right now. Let's look at the results. I mean, they've beaten Canada, yep. Jamaica, yep. Qatar, mm-hmm. all with more of their A teams than the U.S. And again, you're calling Zero it a C against. team. Um, I, I just think when you look at what he's got to work with, you have to give the edge Absolutely. to Berhalter based, on, based on this tournament. If we're going on CVs and all that stuff, Tata Martino's CV, you know. You, you're not going to compare coach of Barcelona, no. Paraguay, and then Argentina, yeah. and then say, you know, Greg Berhalter beats him out. We're not looking at the resume. But Tata Martino's shown me something this, I wouldn't even say just this tournament, since before the Nations League final, mm-hmm. when they played against Honduras in that semifinal, where I'm thinking to myself, I'm sorry, the, uh, Costa Rica in that semifinal, where I'm thinking to myself, Wow, the pressure's getting to him. Yep. He's starting to crumble. And then you see what he does in the final and how he manages his team or mismanages his team, and then he lets himself get red-carded. So he's not there for us. It's just, it just seems like he's crumbling under pressure. And for the first time, maybe it's the press, maybe it's the environment, maybe it's everything that goes around what is the Mexican national team. But he's starting to feel it, and he's yep. starting himself to make mistakes. Yeah, it's cumulative. Yeah. I think it's cumulative, that pressure, especially when you talk about the U.S., and Greg's been, Greg's been consistent, if anything, right. with everything. Right. Um, and talk about the U.S. beating them in, in Denver. What about pressure for the United States? Because, you know, to borrow a Vegas term, house money, it, it really very much feels like there's nothing to lose here for the U.S. And in a final that, I, I don't know, maybe I would think for a player that's like an empowering dynamic. It is. Because if you're saying there's a lot of pressure. Unless you're on the bad end of a, you know, like a beating, 5-0-6. Yeah, but they won't know that going in. No. They won't know that going in. So these kids won't have the pressure of the expectation of winning maybe that plays to their advantage, how naive they can be going into this. Uh, But I saw those nerves against Qatar. Right. And that was in Austin with a pro-U.S. crowd. And you see the nerves. James Sands all of a sudden felt the nerves. Shaq Moore all of a sudden felt the nerves. Players in that midfield felt the nerves. The only person who probably wasn't nervous or didn't seem like it, but maybe there were two, was Matt Turner and Matthew Hoppe. Everybody else seemed like the moment had gotten to him just a bit, right? Well, that could play in your favor, too. Now, if you're talking about... You know, the house money, that's a dangerous mm. thing. Because mm. when you have nothing to lose, you're a dangerous <laughs> um, There's a key difference here. Is it some pressure or no pressure for the U.S.? Because I would still say you're at home, oh, man. Gold Cup final, rival. Like, there's got to be some pressure here. Yeah, I would say there's some pressure to perform, right. to win. Right. I mean, I-, I think the majority of U.S. men's national team fans and the majority of the pundits in this area understand, like, they got to the final and how they got to the final, who they're playing. 
Like, for this group, that's a win, right? right? You're playing against Mexico. Nobody expects you to beat Mexico. If you beat Mexico, you embarrass Mexico. That's a reality. Yeah. You, a C team, you embarrass Mexico. And whether Mexican pundits wanted to agree with C team or not, let's call it a B team if you want. That's still embarrassing for Mexico, for this Mexican national team. I think the pressure for Mexico is collective. The pressure for the U.S. is like a little bit more individual. Look, it is the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Right. So it's the perfect time for a little you got CONCACAF. And there was uh. some prime prime examples of a good CONCACAFing uh, in the semifinal round. Let's start with, oh, this is this is genius, and we've seen it before, and we've seen it in CONCACAF, and we've seen it from this guy, Kellen Acosta, delaying the penalty for Qatar in the second half. It was 0-0, and of course, we know at Haidos, the number 10 would eventually miss it. Classic stuff from Kellen Acosta. You've got to love it. Let me tell you what you don't want if you are the guy taking the penalty kick. You don't want to wait. think about it. You don't want to wait. You don't want to wait. wait. You want to get it over with. Yeah. The more... Look at my man, too, and he's like nervous. What's going on? You're thinking about where should I go? And then you do something like this. Man, and it was like a bad penalty, right? Like, it's clearly terrible. Look at Felix. Felix Sanchez doesn't know what to make of this. He's never seen CONCACAF. Oh, but he just got a a good lesson in in, in what it is, the Qatar coach. All right. Um, This is a goal, the game winner from Giassi's artist. And this is a celebration from Greg (laughs) Berhalter. Sometimes you don't agree with the CONCACAF refs, and sometimes it feels good to say, hey. In your face. Yep, exactly. Uh, I don't know what was going on. A little context would be great, but this is something that will forever be remembered. And Berhalter did apologize after the match. I think something to the effect of like, hey, this poor guy, you know, it wasn't his fault that that everything else was going on. Maybe the uh, the other refs were were more the guilty party. All right, elsewhere in CONCACAFing. This is Rogelio Funes Mori. What are we calling this? A canchero move? Yeah, Colmillo. Yeah. Colmillo, yeah. Picardia, canchero. Yeah. That, that's pretty Gamesmanship. Much that gamesmanship, yeah. that savvy to your advantage. He's making. Oh, time. I didn't see you throw the ball. Oh, wait. Oh, no, what? <laughs> yeah. Sin querer queriendo. Lo siento. Oh, man. Uh, good stuff there. Mexico uh, breaking out the CONCACAF tactics uh, against Canada in the semifinals. Of course, a scuffle ensues. Maybe, maybe, That's a, part red of a card, maybe a red card uh, or two there that should have been. Yeah, been. yeah. A lot of hands around throats in, in CONCACAF play recently. All right. Uh, this, is a, this is a really kind of crazy one. 14 minutes, Herc. 14 minutes of added time in the Mexico-Canada match. And a lot of that was due to a stoppage for the anti-gay chant that we heard multiple times in this game in Houston. And the irony here is that then that that delayed time, that extra time, if you want to look at it that way, is where Hector Herrera scores. I mean, you you can't almost ignore the fact that that this chant and the repercussions of it seem to help Mexico. Yeah. I mean, there's no yeah. going. There's no going. You think it did? You think it was a big? Mo- it broke up the momentum that yeah. Canada had. When you have a team like Mexico pinned in, you have them doubting themselves, and you have those insecurities creeping on the opponent. The last thing you want is them to get a breather, them to get a break, them to regroup, and that's what was allowed to happen for seven minutes. It was yeah. right. Yeah. They were allowed to regroup. It's almost like a timeout, which you never see in football, never see in soccer. And Tata Martino was able to reorganize, reshape his men. And for a second, give them that breather they needed. And then, look, ultimately, in the end, it's still 11 v. 11. Jonathan Osorio, after the game, he himself said, you know, at the end, we got a breather, they got a breather. Do I think it affected it? You know, I don't want to think of it that way. But maybe it did, and I think it did. On the chant, it does cause the delay. I heard it multiple times, especially one time in, like, the 30th minute where it was, um, it was pretty clear. We, again, never got to step two of the protocol. So the idea of getting to step three, which is abandoning the match, so that's really the important nuclear option. We're not even getting getting close to that. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear it here in Las Vegas um, yeah, hopefully on not. Sunday. It's... And you know where I think we're heading with this, Herc? 
I think we're going to get to a point where Mexico may not play a single World Cup qualifier with a home crowd. That's insane. I mean, that we were going to get to this point. And I've heard many things. Well, it's a problem that only happens in the U.S. The first time it was recognized by CONCACAF was for a tournament, a U23 Olympic qualifying tournament in Guadalajara. So, no, it's not the first time. And we've seen this already creep into Liga Mekis. We've seen it creep into now CONCACAF games. CONCACAF needs to do something about it. It can't be that they decide, the referees decide to finally do something about it. Minute 87. All of a sudden, the last 10 minutes of the game is when the CONCACAF referee decides or they finally hear it. I don't buy it. It's unnecessary. It's, it's saddening. It's disgusting. I'm glad you mentioned the CONCACAF refereeing. I think they lost control of that situation. It yeah. was a missed, a failed opportunity. But generally, you could say they also lost control of the match. I think, I think that's something yeah. we continue to see in this region. Real quick, since we are in Las Vegas... Minus 160, Mexico favorites to win. Fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah? Just to lift the trophy, yeah. not regulation yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Because that's a huge – that means Mexico's a huge favorite. You know that, They right? should be huge favorites. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right, so enough on the Gold Cup for now as we wait the U.S. and Mexico on Sunday. Let's turn our attention to the ladies and the Olympics. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The U.S. women's national team is into the semifinals at the Tokyo Olympics after a dramatic penalty kick win over the Netherlands earlier this morning. Joining us now, two-time World Cup champion Ali Krieger on the show. Ali, are you cool? Are you calm? Are you collected? How did you survive this morning's game? <laughs> I mean, I was so shook this morning, but I've calmed down and I'm definitely cool and collected. Um, but it was uh, a wild game, that's for sure, but so exciting. And I'm so proud of the team to finish up strong and, and get the job done to move on to the semifinals. I'm imagining if you're specifically proud of anybody, it's got to be a listener, right? She is certainly the, the hero of the night on this one. Not just, Ali, the, the three penalty saves, but really the fact that they all come after she made what I think for her level of goalie is like a, a pretty significant mistake on the second Netherlands goal. It shows her mental fortitude there to not let that affect her and actually from there kind of go on to become the key figure in this match for the U.S. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she was amazing today making those three important saves of the penalty kicks in order for the U.S. to, you know, continue to have an opportunity to win. And so I think as a goalkeeper, obviously, I talk to Ashlyn about this all the time, that, you know, goalkeepers need to make one or two important saves a game in order to keep their team in it. And that's what she did today. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of her to see her progression through this tournament because I know it hasn't been easy and the team obviously hasn't been playing the way that they always do. And then obviously Pino stepping up and taking that decisive kick, the winner, um, just put it right in the top corner, and there was no question about that one. Ali, I'm looking about I'm looking at the lineup and huge decisions by Vlaco. I mean, there's no Rapino, no Alex Morgan, no Christian Christian Press, no Rose Lavelle. A big decision from the head coach. Walk me through this. What were your initial thoughts? 
Yes, obviously, I was surprised as well. Um, you know, I, I was expecting to see, um, you know, Pino out there and, and you know, a really um, strong starting a front line. Not that we didn't have one that, that started the game, but it just was a surprise to me because Lynn hadn't played, all, you know, most of the tournament. And so, um, obviously, she had a great game today, really was an impact in, in both of the, our, uh, the U.S. goals. Um, and, and then, obviously, Alex and Pino came in to make make a difference in the end. But yeah, I was a bit surprised that she, Lynn, took her opportunity, did really well, and made a big impact. And that's what the team needed at the time. And so I think it was kind of a fresh, a refresher for her uh, and the squad. And she did well. Absolutely. A goal and an assist, a big decision for Vladko Ananovsky. I love the Lynn Williams story. She's kind of the ideal uh, of what the NWSL can do for a player's career. If the NWSL doesn't exist, I don't know that Lynn Williams uh, is in this national team, but she's used that platform. One of the last cuts from the 2019 World Cup team, and here she is making a huge, huge difference in the Olympics. Okay, so Ali, I got to ask you about one of the, the big talking points before this match with this Dutch team was kind of the trash talk that we were hearing, and maybe trash talk is like too harsh, but from multiple players, quotes that, I mean, I'm sorry, just sounded like supreme confidence going into a World Cup final rematch against, hello, the number one team in the world. I'm super curious to get your reaction to kind of what they say. I'll read you the first quote here. It's from Lika Martins, who actually, as we know, ends up missing the critical penalty, what would have been the game winner. Quote, it is no longer the unbeatable USA that everyone looks up to. We have a lot of respect for them, absolutely, but we think this is the tournament we're going to kick them out in we're definitely not in awe anymore there was some some similar comments from Danielle Vandedonk uh, as well what was the reaction to this in the locker room I can't imagine the U.S. women's national team taking this lightly no, not at all. I mean, you know, we always step up to the plate thinking that we're going to win and having that winning mentality right from the get, which a lot of teams have been scared of in the past. But I think the biggest takeaway from this tournament so far is that teams are catching up to us and they're no longer scared of the United States. And uh, they can understand that if they bring that, you know, attacking winning mentality and uh, a little compactness in, in both attacking and defense, um, both on and off the ball that they can really match up with us and I feel like that's kind of a those quotes are kind of a reflection of what you know how the U.S. women's national team began this tournament um, now obviously today um, you know it didn't go Netherlands way but um, you know we see that teams in Europe and all over the world are really catching up and figuring it out and and they're doing well and so I think we do need to continue to work on getting better and and um, growing the game and it's exciting to see other teams doing just as well, if not better at times. Okay. One of those teams doing very well is Canada. The U.S. women will play Canada in the semifinal. How big of a threat, Ali, is Canada to the U.S. women? They're always a threat. They're one of our biggest rivals and have been for many, many years. I think uh, the Canadian national team, um, they're... They're strong. They also have mental toughness um, and their willingness to match up with us just um, tactically, technically, and um, just to have a battle. Uh, they're, they're, I know they're looking forward to this, and um, I know the obviously U.S. women as well, but Canada always wants to play us, and they always want to be matched up with us, and, and they think of it as such a good opportunity. And they have one of the best players in the world who, who's you know proven her worth 
uh, tournament, every tournament um, for years and years, which is Christine Sinclair, who we obviously need to um, keep an eye on and uh, make sure that we come out to this game right from the start uh, really well and, you know, put them on their heels and get them on their back foot because I know that they are waiting for this game and probably have been all tournament. There you go. A backyard brawl in the Olympic semifinal. Ali Krieger, two-time World Cup champion. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck this weekend with Orlando. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, for more, we welcome in Taylor Twelman. Taylor, done with his Euros coverage, now back on the road for MLS. (laughs) Taylor, where in America are you right now? Uh, I don't even know, Seb. I I have no idea. All I know is I'm in Orlando, Florida. I'm in this beautiful hotel where the AC's on at 68, and yet it still feels like 95 degrees in this room. (laughs) Orlando, Florida, so a place that you've definitely not not gotten to be enough over the last, like, year and a half, right? Uh, Let's get into some (laughs) of the topics from last night's game, Taylor. Uh, You were actually tweeting about Matt Turner throughout the match, and it's something we've talked about with you on this show before. Um, The discussion around is there actually a real competition for the number one goalie job. Obviously, we don't have Zach Steffen, uh, but right now it looks like Matt Turner is really laying claim to this. How honest is the conversation here? Is it a three-man race now for that job in your eyes? I think it is, uh, mainly because as us three discussed this after the Nations League final with Ethan Horvath, if he makes a club decision and a club move where he's playing regularly, I feel like that's the conversation. But I think what's been remiss throughout this entire thing is Matt Turner in Major League Soccer is arguably the best shot stopper. Mm. Has he improved a little bit with his feet? Sure, absolutely. But I want my goalkeepers to be the best shot stoppers they can be. And I think if we're having an honest conversation about the U.S. men's national team number one spot, if you're not having Matt Turner and Ethan Horvath in the conversation with Zach Steffen, who is a part-by-part, part-by-bit, however you want to phrase it, starter with Manchester City, then I don't think we're doing justice for that job. And I think Matt Turner's played himself right into that conversation. Mm. I love what Taylor says about shot stopping. All the time when we talk about American goalies, we hear about how great they are with their feet, Herc. It's finally we nice do? to hear somebody. Yeah, well, when we talk about Zach <laughs> Steffen, that's, that's the strength, right? Ah. It's good to, have a, good to, to be able to talk about shot stopping well, when we talk about Matt Turner. Okay, that's Zach Steffen we talk about, not the player pool or the goalkeeping pool with their feet. Uh, here's the thing. Zach Steffen to me is my number one, but he's not proven to be a guy you can count on to be healthy, and that's a big issue, and he doesn't play regularly. And for a goalkeeper, he almost If healthy, is he your clear number one? I think so. I believe mm. so. And, and I recall last time we had Taylor on here, Ethan had a blinder of a game against Mexico when he came mm-hmm. on for an injured Zach Steffen. And Taylor said the exact same thing, that Ethan should be up there and it should be an open competition. I agree with open competition. But how do you want to play for Greg Berhalter? And being a good shot stopper is great at the Major League Soccer level, at the Gold Cup level. But these other two have done it at a European level. 
And by the way, Zach Steffen plays for Man City under Pep Guardiola, so there's a thing or two he's learned along the way. All right, I got two forwards here. I'm done talking about goalies. Let's talk about Giassi Zardes, because you know, Taylor, that a lot of U.S. men's national league fans, every time they see him, whether it's coming in as a sub or starting the match, uh, they get awfully, awfully nervous. But it is him that delivers the game-winning goal. Now, Hurt goes on Twitter, and he says, Zardes is a lock. He used the word L-O-C-K, a lock to go to Qatar to be on that he's plane on that flight, He's on that plane. Taylor, you agree, is Giassi Zardes a lock for the World Cup team? No. No player's a lock in this instance, especially center forwards. And, and Herc knows this better than anyone because in the 2010 World Cup roster was announced, both he, Edson Butto, and to a certain extent, Robbie Finley were on a roster where if us three were having that conversation before the World Cup, they wouldn't have been in that necessary conversation. When you look at a center forward position, when you're building a 23-man roster, the most important thing is about are they in form? Are they sharp? And we've seen it throughout the entire U.S. soccer history that you've got to be willing to make some changes. Julian Green made it in 2014 over Landon Donovan, mm. which all three of us would have said would have been a lock. You look at 2006, Brian Ching, Josh Wolf, maybe last-minute decisions, more so with Brian Ching than Josh Wolf. 2010, we've already talked about. Giazzi Zardes is Greg Berhalter's team guy. He has said it. However... If Josh Sargent, Daryl DK, and these players that are in this conversation are all of a sudden hotter than Giazzi Zardes, the conversation is going to be had. That's why he's not a lock, but I get why Herc is saying it, because Greg Berhalter knows, looking down the bench, mm -hmm. he can count on that guy in the 23rd spot if he needs him. That's why he's an ultimate team guy, but I don't think a center forward is ever a lock when it comes to in sharpness and in form going into a World Cup. Herc, how much of that tweet was not about Zardes necessarily is about, as Taylor says, the other guys, and specifically yeah. last night, DK, Daryl DK. Yeah, it's about the other guys. Did you notice how Taylor didn't mention himself? Taylor was one of those guys that many would have said was a lock. I understand what you're saying, Taylor. Surprises come out of everywhere, and I'm with you. Mm -hmm. But it's the pool. You were in a very deep center forward pool. I was yep. in a circumstantial situation where Charlie, uh, Charlie Davies had his accident. Eddie Johnson was in Greece. Yep. He was injured. Brian Ching was in his later years. So I understand what you're saying. But look at this pool of players, this pool of nines. Nobody's taken mm. hold of that position. Nope. Josh Sargent is on the move. He's in Bundesliga too. Matthew Hoppe hasn't even given a chance at the number nine position. Daryl DK looks like a shell of his former self. It, it looks like Jesse Sardes is, is the only person who – He's putting the ball in the back of the net regularly. And also, by the way, you mentioned it. Greg Berhalter trusts him. He knows the system. Yeah, I mean, Herc, guy. to your point, you guys, you guys are sitting in Vegas right now. The odds would be minus 400 that he's a lock because he is of yeah. all the players in the pool, one, Greg Berhalter's favorite, and two, the only one that's consistently got it done depending on the opponent. So, yeah. Herc, you're 100% right. But obviously, 12, 14 months from now, Things can change. That's why a lock yeah. for me is 100%. I'm looking at it more like 95 to 90. Taylor, what are you seeing as far as Daryl DK is concerned? Because this is a guy who keeps getting opportunities from Greg Berhalter, but he's really not taking advantage of him. And in yesterday's match against Qatar, it was one of those situations where it's a player who, even when he gets the ball in a dangerous situation, he doesn't look like he's going to score. He doesn't look like he's got that confidence. What are you seeing? Uh, I see everything, everything that everyone else is seeing. I've seen a player that's got a heavy touch in the final third in critical moments. I'm seeing a player that's dealing with a shoulder injury, so he's not completely confident in his body. But more so, and I do have real experience in this, is when you are in great form and then the transfer conversation starts, 
and it goes and it gets longer and longer and longer with no answers and no new contract and all of these little things that are going on it becomes a very very difficult conversation for daryl dk now i'm sitting here in orlando city i asked oscar perea yesterday are you going to sell daryl dk i didn't get a straight answer mm. so now put that on the shoulders of daryl dk i think it's a real struggle for him and you're seeing that because he's not playing as free and as loose and herc you know this better than anyone a number nine that's playing with the heavy shoulders and thinking a lot Touches become heavier. He's not as clean. He's not as effective. He hasn't been as good in this Gold Cup. And I'm curious of whether or not that's affected that transfer fee if and when it comes. You know, I'm glad you brought up the confidence. I I didn't think about the aspect of him really thinking about the transfer, but those touches are heavy. He's not that kind of guy. And when you can't help your team out in other ways, if you're not putting the ball in the back of the net, it's not a good sign. More than anything, I would, I would say that confidence looks shook. If DK's stock is dropping, maybe we could say the opposite about Matthew Hoppy Taylor. This is a player who every time I see him play, I fall a little bit more in love. We're actually seeing him, seeing him not even be used as like a, a straight-up number nine anymore, now a little bit out on the wing. And Herc said something the other day that I really felt like I saw in the game against Qatar. He is so direct. It's not just like his shot. Very. It's a pass. Very. It's anything. He wants to go to goal. What do you think of the role that we saw from him yesterday? Because it was a little bit of everything, a little bit wide, a little bit striker, a little bit 10. Yeah, I, I love it. Herc hit the nail on the head, but it's also a product of him playing in Germany. And in Germany, you were taught in the final 30 yards, go to goal as quickly as possible. Look at the left-footed ball he played in behind the defense where Daryl DK should have finished it. That is exactly the kind of player that Matthew Hoppy is. Now, he's a little different in the sense where if you play him as a nine, he's not going to play like Daryl DK Jazzy Zardes because he's more mobile. He's consistently running the channels and he can pull off of the center backs. That's not necessarily what Greg Berhalter wants. But the one thing I loved about him, him arguing with Greg Berhalter about coming out of the Gold Cup semifinal. That's the kind of guy you want on your team. That's the guy that desperately wants to more so impress but succeed at the highest level. I love what I've seen during the Gold Cup with him. I think he's going to have a fantastic year with Schalke in this fight to Bundesliga. And I also believe this is someone, which is why I go back to the Giazzi Zardes quote-unquote lock. Who knows what happens with Matthew Hoppe over the next 12 months? But so far, I love what I see. And a lot of it, Sebastian, it's he's a gamer and he's willing to do anything he can to help the team win. He just doesn't fit the profile of what the number nine is for Greg Borhalter playing through the middle. I'm glad that he mentioned that mentality because that's the one thing I love the best. And he argued with Greg Berhalter, but there was a time in that game where he's on the left wing and he came off and picked the ball off of James Sands' foot and James Sand literally put his hand up like, what's going on here? I love the mentality of him trying to do things. All right, let's go big picture then to wrap things up here on the United States and Mexico. Taylor, the U.S. team maybe doesn't have all that much pressure, but I do feel like there is a lot at stake for the Americans in this match, and here's why. You just beat Mexico in the Nations League final. If now your U.S. B team, C team beats Mexico in the Gold Cup final, if yes. you're the U.S., I pretty much think you can claim to be kings of CONCACAF, gigantes of CONCACAF. Do you think the top spot in CONCACAF is on the line when U.S. and Mexico meet Sunday in Las Vegas? Absolutely. And I think you two have hit the nail on the head regarding this conversation throughout the past couple of weeks. And mainly because 
Tata Martino went the opposite way of building that roster for Mexico for this Gold Cup, and they've struggled. Canada, you could argue, was maybe the better team in that semifinal. And so when I look at what United States has done, Greg Berhalter looked at this after missing the Olympics saying, I need to see players and I need to find players to see where they are. And if we win, great. But at least I get that out of it. The fact that they haven't been as convincing, BEC team, however you want to phrase it, and yet are in the Gold Cup final, Sebastian and Herc, I'd actually argue they may already have that mm. because they built the depth. They're now starting to regain the mentality of winning no matter who's on the roster, which Herc's generation, my generation, the generation before that would do that consistently in CONCACAF even when there wasn't a full roster. I'd argue as long as they don't get blown out against Mexico in the Gold Cup final, they may already have that one because they got the depth. Two, they're younger. And three, most importantly, they're starting to regain the winning mentality. Seb, I think the answer is yes. I really do. Mm. Herc, top dog status up for grabs here? Yeah. I mean, it's their A team versus your C team. Absolutely. You just won the CONCACAF Nations League final. Uh, You embarrassed them in the way you did it. Uh, Absolutely. Think about this for a second. Taylor is absolutely right. Three of the last five CONCACAF Hex or qualifying cycles, mm-hmm. the U.S. men's national team has won. You get back to that winning yeah. way, that winning mentality. Yeah, I think they would definitely go in as the uh, favorites for the World Cup qualifiers if they do indeed win here on Sunday night. All right, Taylor, that's all the time we've got. Enjoy Orlando and the rest of your weekend down there covering Major League Soccer. Thanks for the time. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Mexico then. 2-1 winners and into the final, which as we know, a couple days away in Las Vegas as we welcome in Mauricio Pedrosa to the show. What do you guys got out on Unca going on out here as well? Yeah. We do. We do. It's here as well in Has Vegas. He abandoned you already on our Hold on. <laughs> this feels weird, right? Yeah, it does. The it three does. of we, us together the can't be together for the first one time. Spot at the same this feels time. very weird, but I'm happy to be here. Happy to be in Hercules Gomez's very own Las Vegas. I know. I know. He's <laughs> beloved here. I was saying earlier in the show, we found the <laughs> one place we actually <laughs> like this guy. Uh, let's get into this performance, man. So, like, sure they win, but so much that this performance leaves to be desired from a Mexico perspective. Yeah. But it's been like that for the past, what, four or five games, I think, the Mexican the national quarterfinal, right? The quarterfinal well, was, like a, was a moment of hope. Yeah, hard. but you got to take in yeah. consideration what Honduras team they were facing. Very limited. A lot of good uh, players were not there. I know Canada yesterday was going under the same circumstances. But, I mean, have we seen a really good Mexican team in the past four to five games? I don't think so. And it, yesterday was probably a reflection of what's coming up for the qualifiers, if Tata Martino still has a lot of doubts, especially in that back line, Carlos Alcedo, let alone the penalty kick, he played horrible yesterday. It was a very, very poor game for that back line of Tata Martino. Can we actually talk about that Carlos Salcedo penalty? Not Por favor. Penalty, but the decision. <laughs> uh, here's the soundbite from Tata Martino kind of explaining what he was thinking or maybe not thinking during the match. No, ninguna. Este la no conveniencia de repetir el pateador y este y Carlos con todo el apoyo de, de sus compañeros y el nuestro 
este, estaba bien y con confianza para ejecutarlo y bueno, se lo atajaron, no mucho más que eso, no, no, creo que era relevante en el partido, pero no hay este, ningún comentario acerca de, este, del ejecutante. ¿Y no, si fue de los jugadores, jugadores, los jugadores lo, lo resuelven adentro del campo. Por, ¿por, qué no, ¿Por qué no lo resuelve usted antes, profe? Porque los jugadores lo resuelven dentro del campo, porque también no es una, una cuestión de, de patear bien el penal, sino también de confianza. Y eso lo sienten ellos en el momento del penal, no lo tengo que resolver yo. Por lo menos yo no me... No lo resuelvo de esa manera como a usted le desearía. Yo le contesto la pregunta, pero no voy a hacer lo que usted quiere que en su este, lo que usted quiere que, que hagamos. Nosotros vamos a hacer lo que nosotros entendemos que tenemos que hacer. The players decided on the field. Herc, you've been yeah. in a locker room, in a training ground. Is that, is that, the, that seems like a huge detail to leave undecided. Is that the correct way to do things? I don't know if correct, but it's a very common way of really? doing things. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been in many locker rooms where it's... But you've been on teams that had designated penalty shooters. A as well, as well, yes. But this is not uncommon, not unheard What of. What do you prefer as a player? Uh, I, I prefer to have that designated... I prefer to have do. somebody who you know is going to put the ball in the back of the net. Here's the thing, though. I don't mind that it's Orbelín or Salcedo, whoever feels it. But both times, both players took the ball away from Rogelio Funes Mori. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee if Javier Hernández is on the field, your all-time leading goal scorer, they don't take the ball away from him or they don't have the goal to go up and try to take the ball away from him in that moment. Should they have had a designated taker or not? I, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue at hand is that they missed. Mm. They make it, nobody says anything. Listen, yeah. I think they have, they need to have a designated penalty kick shooter, right? I, 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 I think that's, that's, that's the best formula. That's a failure of the coach, isn't it? Now, if you're not going to have one, right, and Orbelín Pineda takes the first one, and it was just class, mm -hmm. it was fantastic, and there's a second penalty during the same game. I think you'd take it, right? Why, yeah. why would you change? Do you think maybe Orbelín didn't want to? I don't There we think, go. Well, no, I don't think so. And even if Carlos Salcido raises his hand and says, <laughs> yeah. I want to take it, you, as the manager, you go and say, no, no, not you. How many times have we seen Carlos Salcido taking penalties no. in very important, crucial moments of games? Never. Penalty shootouts, that's it, right? right. No, never, never decisive penalty kick taker. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, when I feel he, like we're when passing he grabbed the, the ball, I was shocked, and I was pacing in the hotel room. I feel like we're passing the buck. I, I sensed the, he was going to miss. The onus is on Tata Martino. What about HH? Hector Herrera. What about Tecatito yes. Corona, who's right. been yes. MIA this tournament? Hector Herrera. He's the leader of that group, right? Yep. He's the leader. Even if he doesn't want to take the PK, he can go to Carlos Salcedo and say, listen, It's not your turn. We're, we're either going to have Orbelín taking it again or Rogelio Funes Mori who wants to take it. Yeah. He should have done that as well. Yeah. Now, help us with the, uh, the great debate that has festered here on Football <laughs> Américas recently. I don't think that if Mexico were to lose yeah. in the final on Sunday that Tata Martino would lose his job. Herc says he's managing for his job on Sunday. What do you think? Hercules está loco. It's completely Bien out dicho. of his Bien mind. Dicho. Yeah, no, it's Somebody not going to happen. It. It's not going to happen. Yeah. There's, there's a plan for Tata Martino, and I, and I celebrate. I salute the executives of the Mexican Federation for finally sticking to a plan. Yeah. Not uh, the way they used to do business, right? Let's, let's, let's consider a couple of things. First of all, if you go to the bench, yesterday's bench 
Uh, 80% of those players are not going to be part of the regular call-ups for World Cup qualifiers. Mm -hmm. So this is a very decimated team for Tata Martino. That's number one. Number two, it's been a lot of games. CONCACAF is very strange, very hard to play. So I think he has a pass, even if he loses the final against the U.S. Now, it doesn't look good if you play the U.S. twice yep. the same summer and you come up empty, right? But, but I do believe there's a plan with him, and he's not going anywhere. Lots of excuses. Uh, I didn't say that, by the way. I said depending on how he loses. Okay. All right, let's get, though, to, yeah. uh, let's get to brass tax time. Uh, let's make some predictions. Mal, your thoughts. Final score. Uh, Mexico 2, USA 0. Dale. <laughs> I was going to say, are you going to go <laughs> with the 2 0? 0. Officially flip the 2 0 then. What do you think? Uh, I think it's Mexico by a couple goals. A couple <laughs> goals. <laughs> no. A do you believe goals. that? Yep. Wow, look at this. Look at this. Turned your Wait, back. Are we going to lie? You're saying that with a straight face? Are we going to lie to the people here? I will go with a uh, I'll go with a one goal Mexico win, one nothing, a low scoring affair. One of the uh, few few bits of action that uh, didn't quite capture the attention so far this weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a full recap of the Gold Cup final, U.S. and Mexico on Football America.